Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I felt a need to prove myself from the beginning. And I felt that there was an expectation and a demand and, and an ask, you know, were you put here for affirmative action purposes or are you really qualified to be our leader? Hello, and welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. I'm Claire Hatton. And I'm Greta Thomas. And we're on a mission to help you achieve your goals. We're all about sharing the secrets of the world's most innovative and pioneering successful women. Hear their uplifting stories and practical advice right here. Yes, right here. And if you're enjoying this podcast, then why not sign up for our newsletter at hello at don'tstopusnow.co and keep listening for this week's latest episode. Hello, everyone. Our guest this week is former military leader and now quantum computing focused executive Mandy Birch. Born and bred in the USA, Mandy has many talents. She has a master's degree in mechanical engineering from MIT, a second master's in military operational art and science. Wow. Yeah, no less. And a third master's in international relations. Wow, she's been busy, hasn't she? She certainly has. Mandy started her career in the United States Air Force, where she spent more than 16 years. She talks about carving out a career in the military as a woman and how important it is to be comfortable in your own skin, even when you're different to most of the people in the room. And now Mandy's focused on the cutting edge of computing, working for a company called Rigetti, which focuses on quantum computing. Rigetti's been named as one of the top three quantum companies in the world, along with Google and IBM. Not to mention juggling her role with Rigetti with being a colonel in the US Reserve Air Force. And Colonel is seriously up there in the military ranks. Yes, serious respect. In this episode, you'll learn how to summarize quantum computing in a single sentence, how embracing being underestimated shaped Mandy's leadership style, why she believes overplanning your career path can be a problem, and why getting used to being different and seeing the value in that made all the difference to her career. So without further ado, enjoy this episode with the passionate and mission-driven Mandy Birch. Well, Mandy Birch, welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. And where are you speaking to us from today? Today, I'm in Berkeley, California at Rigetti's headquarters. Okay, fantastic. Well, it's great to have you on the show. We've been really looking forward to having this conversation with you. And a question we start off asking with all of our guests is, how do you describe what you do today in a couple of sentences? Well, I work at Rigetti Quantum Computing, and we build quantum computers. And my specific role is helping guide the cross-functional integration for our technical roadmap and also supporting our government solutions business. Wow. And I can't let us go further without even just asking for a brief explanation at this point. You know, what exactly is quantum computing? 
<laughs> That's a really good question. I think that could open up a very long conversation. Yes. But I think a way to think of it is it's a new type of computational capabilities. Now we're able to begin solving problems that were previously intractable because of their scope or just the way computation needs to be done are going to be opened up with this new computational power. Well, I'm sure we're going to get into this more because we obviously, I think, need to explore this in more depth. But before we do, we'd love to go right back and explore your childhood a little bit. Where did you grow up and go to school? I grew up in rural Indiana, and I think some of the most salient things about my growing up is it wasn't necessarily a well-off area, but I felt like I had all the advantages in life because I grew up in a wonderful family with parents who loved me, and that really created this sense of courage in the world that I knew that I had a home, that I had a place. I, I didn't have to fear failure. My dad was an entrepreneur. He had an amazing work ethic. He reinvented himself several times. So I grew up in that kind of environment where you could go out in the world, tackle something and know you were loved back home. I think another real characteristic of my childhood was just an intense curiosity. And that was, of course, um, knowledge, uh, reading books, but really focusing on ideas and trying new things. And then I think the other third thing about my upbringing that that's really shaped me today and has given me and all of my siblings really a real sense of compassion is that I have a sister with disabilities. So you learn a certain sort of compassion when you see people suffer and you understand what that experience is like. And that's really shaped the way that I lead today. How would you say that it's most shaped the way you lead? What do you think you do differently as a result of that experience? I think just a real human connection in leadership, particularly in a military context. I think empathy is a real key to leadership. And I think oftentimes the world's idea of leadership are, are being in charge, taking control. And I think I take a very different approach to leadership because of my experiences and, and really balancing out this idea of you have a mission to accomplish with the people that you work with, but they're also very human and being able to set the conditions for people to thrive, being empathetic is a huge piece of that. Yeah, absolutely. What actually made you choose to go into the military? I think you went straight from school. That's right. So, I mean, the truth of the matter is that I grew up in an area where not a lot of people went off to college and the idea of attending a military service academy and having a scholarship and being able to go study engineering, which was what my dream was, was very appealing to me. And how would you describe your experience of being in the military when you first started? Because I would imagine it could have been a bit of a culture shock. <laughs> it definitely was a bit of culture shock. There's intense pressure to conform and be like other people. And I don't think I realized what a rebel I was at heart until I found myself in that situation of needing to be like everyone else. And I think particularly being a female, it was a particularly challenging environment for me. So I would go from this mindset of you know, I can run as fast as you. I can do all the things that the guys can do. We were only about 10% women at that point. So there weren't many other women alongside of me. To then being hyper feminine, I'm going to wear earrings and paint my fingernails. And frankly, I think that oscillation really continued all the way well into my 30s until I really got a sense of confidence under me that being like everyone else, only lesser, is 
absolutely the wrong framing and how to think about it. The same applies as being a reservist to active duty. I'm not the same as active duty, only lesser. I bring a whole other set of experiences and can contribute value if I think about my role and how I can contribute differently. And did you find that you had to, being a senior woman in the military, did you have to compromise anything significant? I mean, to be honest, I get weary at times because it takes a little bit of extra effort. I feel extra pressure to make sure that everyone knows that I belong at the table. Um, My husband's also a military officer, and we went down somewhat parallel career paths. And I remember when he would take command of a new unit, for instance, you know, everyone knew that he deserved that and that he had the respect of everyone involved from day one. And I felt the opposite. I felt a need to prove myself from the beginning. And I felt that there was an expectation and a demand and, and an ask, you know, were you put here for affirmative action purposes or are you really qualified to be our leader? And I've even been able to reframe that a bit and think, you know, a leader that starts on a pedestal can only fall, whereas a leader who starts maybe at a lower place and can work their way up in people's eyes, that's actually an advantage and a little bit easier to manage. But I think also as I've gotten more senior, it's challenging because there are some maybe deliberate behavior choices I have to think about on a daily basis that I have to incorporate into planning out my day, for instance, that take extra time. And really, as an executive, you can't afford to spend extra time. You're already, you know, everybody's calendar is full and and it's already tough enough to manage the responsibilities that you have at that level. Sometimes having the extra responsibility to think about how am I going to navigate this touchy situation and, you know, how am I going to be perceived can sometimes still be an extra burden. For sure. Now, a couple of years ago, as I understand it, you though made a very big choice. I assume it was a big choice to leave the military and join the corporate world. What was behind that? Well, I really spent some time reflecting on what my strengths are and what contribution I want to make to the world. And I wasn't convinced that I was necessarily postured to be able to do that from my role in the military. I think one of the advantages I have is that I have several different pieces to my background, including engineering, including international relations, including leadership. And I really wanted to be operating at the intersection of these to help people thrive. And I found in the military, and this is probably the same in a large company as well, the systems put a label and identity on you. So I could operate in any one of those, maybe two at any given point, but certainly not at the intersection of all three. So I was really seeking an opportunity to be realistic about what I love, the environment I love, where I can best make a contribution. And it's just been wonderful. I had a coach that helped me through in defining you know, what my strengths and values are and exactly what my mission statement is. And that was absolutely key. And I think now I didn't even realize I, I, ha- I had such a service mindset when I was in the military. I woke up every morning and I didn't have trouble getting out of bed because I had this narrative about I'm contributing to something important. My mission is important. My airmen are important. But I didn't realize how different it would be when you find something that is so naturally aligned with 
your strengths. So I didn't know that you could wake up in the morning and not have to have that narrative that your mind is just already going and you're so excited about what you do. And I found that here at Rigetti. I found that type of alignment. And I hope that I can coach others to help find their real strengths and alignment with, you know, all the different aspects of their life and in their career as well. Yeah, that's fantastic to hear that you've done that. And what's been the biggest challenge for you sort of coming from the military world into this sort of real entrepreneurial space and wearing lots of hats and moving at the pace that you're moving at? I think just being able to know which leadership tools to apply at the right time, I sometimes find that I still miss expectations sometimes about, you know, when to collaborate, when to be directive. In the military, it's pretty clear when you're in a crisis situation, it's directive. And then when you're more in a home station training environment where people's lives aren't in danger, then you're expected to be more innovative and collaborative. So trying to find that perfect space of exactly when to apply, which leadership skills to really be able to make the biggest contribution is one of the challenges that I still face. I can understand that. Adapting to the culture must be quite interesting too. It is, but I tell you, it's been one of the most welcoming work environments I've ever been a part of. People here really love what they do and have been so willing to share from their own knowledge, background, and experiences, and that makes it a really fun place. Rigetti's quite unique, if I understand what we've been reading about it correctly, that it's the only company sort of combining traditional computing with the sort of quantum potential. Is that right? Sure. So we're taking a full stack view of quantum computing, a systems integration view of quantum computing. So that means all the way down from the fabrication, the manufacturing process up through the cryogenic systems, the software that sets on top of it, the language that's been invented to be able to use these computers, but not thinking of that as standalone, but also integrating into existing high performance computing capability. and. Mandy, if you're thinking about the future, let's say in 2030, where do you think quantum computing is going to make the most difference to our our lives practically? So in the future, quantum computing, there is a theoretically perfect mathematical concept of what quantum computers can do, which are large search algorithms, being able to crack encryption. But Really, we're focused right now on what some of the near-term applications are. And so over the next few years, and you gave 2030 as a landmark, I think there's three main areas where quantum computing is really going to start making a difference for humanity. One is in quantum chemistry. So an example would be drug discovery, such as finding more solutions that involve protein folding that may be key to curing Alzheimer's in a discovery or being able to clean up environmental disasters by being able to find molecules that can neutralize the chemicals that are in the environment. And then there's a whole host of optimization problems and logistics and machine learning as well. Wow. It sounds like it's actually going to fundamentally change many of the things that we rely on. Would that be correct? That's true. I, I mean, anything that relies upon computational capability now is going to be affected by quantum computing in the future, particularly when it comes to where are we bottlenecked, where are we at our limits right now, and what's tractable in terms of problems we can solve. You know, this might be me being too gimmicky here, Mandy, but would it be fair to say that if you had to think at the highest, simplest level of what quantum computing is, it's as if almost that 
computing has nailed how to scale because quantum computing is being able to deal with multiple, multiple data points at multiple, multiple speeds faster than we used to. So it's kind of like it's nailed scaling. Would that be fair? Nailing scaling. Love it. (laughs) That is fair. Thinking about quantum as a new way to hop to a new scaling curve is absolutely the right way to think about it. We encourage our clients to think about what are the toughest computational challenges you face right now? Where are you facing bottlenecks or where are you not even trying computation because you know it's just an intractable problem like many logistics problems fall into this area? Yeah, fascinating. I'd love to segue a little bit into just thinking about, you know, how you think about creativity and innovation and bring out the best of those aspects in the teams and people that you've both led in the past and today. You know, are there any principles or kind of key sort of things that you think about when trying to creatively solve a problem or innovate? There are a couple. So one is that it's important to be prolific with ideas and you can't be too worried that you're going to have a bad idea. I always tell my team, you know, if I say something that's a bad idea, please give me feedback, right? There'll be plenty more. You're not going to hurt my feelings on it. And I try to cultivate that spirit amongst the team as well. You know, be courageous. Don't worry about putting that idea out there. Just go for it. And if we have enough of them, surely some of them are going to pan out. I think another key to innovation though, and I found this particularly in government, is you can't just have an idea But you have to have the skills to put those ideas into action to sort through which ones are priorities and which will really work out and then how to actually implement that. So I'll give you an example in government. In particular, there is a push for innovation in government, but particularly in the U.S., our government is designed to be stable. So that is really good if you were to have, say, a dictator to try to take control. It's good that we have stability and the system won't let that kind of change happen, but it also insulates us from the good types of changes as well. So one of the keys that I found, particularly in government to innovation, is trying to figure out who all the stakeholders are. And and stakeholders come from surprising angles. It's not just about the idea and the technical feasibility of it, but what are all the other parts of an idea that have to come together? Who are the political stakeholders? Who are the end user stakeholders? What are the mental barriers people have to overcome to undertake this technology? So thinking about how do you actually tackle that part of the problem is as important as having the idea itself. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you talked about the proliferation of ideas and everything. And I know with the work that we do with corporates and stuff, sometimes it's very easy to be distracted by the latest shiny new technology tool or enabler. How do you go about making both priorities and decisions in those kinds of scenarios? Well, I would say it's agile and ruthless prioritization. So we always have a hypothesis going for what's most important. And we try to write out those goals and we try to prioritize what we're doing against those. But it's also a matter of holding them lightly, at least in the technology development business. You can't hold to a framework for very long or you're going to miss the signals that you need to make an adjustment. So I think that's really the key is having a plan, but then being comfortable with it changing. That's great. And, you know, one of the things that we see people struggle with is the ability to pick up on those signals. And I think that that requires you to actually get out of the the weeds and up and reflecting. How do you practically do that? 
I do a lot of exercise, which takes me away from my problems. Uh, I love going for a run, getting out in nature for a hike, going for a swim. And I think just being able to step away from things and put myself in a new environment and think is really important. And it's getting harder and harder to find that space. I just had to set some limits on how much time is scheduled on my calendar on a daily basis. You know, right now, I think you're also still a reservist, aren't you? And you're you're not just a ordinary reservist, you're actually a colonel. Is that right? That's right. 18 months ago, I think you were literally in Chad for nine months on a reservist mission. (laughs) How do you manage that pull from the military and doing a huge job at Rigetti? Well, some days better than others. Um, (laughs) I think that it's a day-to-day basis and really being able to focus fully on whatever I'm doing. You know, I found that I'm not really a multitasker. So I tend to approach all of these things with an obsession and an intensity and a focus. So, you know, I I find that I'm actually not bouncing between the things very well. But on the weekends, when I'm thinking about reserve work or, you know, I'm away for a week on that, I really do try to fully unplug from my other responsibilities as best I can so that I can focus. I find that I have my best thinking and I can be most efficient in both domains by doing that. It's not an easy or clear answer. Yeah, right. And also probably not holding them up as well. There must be something around empowering others as you transition from one thing to another. Oh, absolutely. I think I've always had a leadership philosophy that my goal is to work myself out of a job. You know, whatever I'm doing now, somebody else should be able to be doing that in the next three or four months, and I should be focusing on the next biggest thing. So I've always made that a point. I think maybe the military system is particularly good at forcing you to do that because you change jobs every 18 months, two years, something like that. So you're really forced to get in there, understand, try to set your goals and make progress on them and move on. And really the only way to have any type of legacy or enduring impact is to have others buy into those ideas and make sure they have the skills and are equipped well to move them forward. So I think that I tend to take that approach. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic approach. You know, one thing that I would love to get your thoughts on is, you know, you talked about the fact that coming from a loving family home and now having, you know, a loving husband gives you the courage to not be so afraid of taking risks or trying new things. You know, we come across a lot of people and sometimes even ourselves in day-to-day moments where you know you've got that background, but still fear can be the dominant factor when you're considering a decision. Oh, I really like to think about what is my core identity. And when I think about it in terms of a mission statement, like setting the conditions for people to thrive, it really helps me frame things in a way to know that one specific decision about my career or my personal life or a nonprofit board that I'm on or whatever it happens to be, none of that is my identity in entirety. So while I might make a mistake or I might fail at a task that does not define me and that does not make me a failure. Even if I were to make a major blunder professionally and have to reinvent myself, there is a sense of core identity that could manifest itself in lots of different ways and not getting too hung up on you know one particular job or way of thinking about that has really been freeing for me. Yeah. Of course, there's always those scenarios where people actually genuinely feel that they haven't got that sort of security of a loving and safe upbringing or a loving and safe encouraging partnership. You know, what is your advice to those people feeling that way? 
So I think anyone can take on the challenge of making sure that they create a support network and that it does take courage in and of itself to ask. But I've benefited not only from my parents and siblings and my spouse, but a great group of friends, you know, going through the Air Force Academy in particular, you go through bonding experiences with one another and you can count on one another for that unconditional support. But that takes work. You have to sometimes go through difficult circumstances. So I think putting yourself into those challenging situations and not being afraid to lean on your colleagues, peers, friends for support in that, that actually, you know, is not a sign of weakness to ask for help, but actually creates these amazing relationships and bonds that give you the courage and strength to go out and do the next thing. I think I've also immensely benefited from coaches at different times in my life, both in terms of athletics, but also in professional life as well. And, you know, that can happen organically. Maybe you find a mentor or someone who can coach you, but it can also happen just by being deliberate and going out and hiring that support as well. I think that's really great advice. Just thinking about mentors, have you specifically gone out looking for mentors in your career or is that more sort of it just, you know, in your personal life and support network? So I think early on in my career, I desperately wanted mentors and I had a very fixed mindset about what that mentor should look like. And I realized that person doesn't exist in the world. You know, I wanted someone who had a career path similar to mine in the Air Force, was a female, was senior to me, maybe had a similar life view that could really understand where I was coming from. That's just impossible. That person doesn't exist. So I've had to regroup a bit and think more in terms of a network of support and not having one person that's just my role model, but having lots of role models. And those role models aren't always someone that's more senior in their career to me. Sometimes they are, but sometimes it's a skill that I need to learn from maybe somebody that actually reports to me, or maybe it's from a peer or someone else. So keeping my eyes open for opportunities to find a network of mentors and support rather than that one role model that's the be-all uh, and all has been really valuable for me. Yeah, we really subscribe to that view. We, yeah. we, we actually call it a virtual personal advisory board. That's absolutely perfect. That's exactly what you need. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Mandy, what excites you most about the future? Oh, just the possibilities of human ingenuity, the possibilities to improve our world, the possibilities to make a contribution at Regetti, we're often thinking about what's possible in the future and we're working hard at being able to make that happen. So just being able to think, you know, there's so much negative news, but when I think about what's actually possible, if we're able not only to technologically invent things, but create the human and social structures and good legislation and policy around those inventions, you know, there's real opportunity to improve life. And I think that those ideals are things worth striving for. I think, as I mentioned, several times, my mission statement is to help create the conditions for people to thrive and thinking about how we can make that contribution technologically and in the broader ecosystem to bring a technology to bear really excites me. Well, that really excites us too. Yes, absolutely. Get working, me. Yeah. <laughs> Keep going. Uh, Mandy, what advice would you give to your 30-year-old self? I think there's two things that are really salient in my mind. One is don't overplan your career path. And, you know, my career path was pretty winding 
mostly because I wanted to stay with my husband and we were searching out opportunities where we could get alignment. So maybe every job wasn't necessarily my dream job, but I had opportunities, you know, that aligned with my overall life priorities. And I had other opportunities that somebody would reach out to me and say, hey, I really need help with this. I'd love to work with you again. And I would say yes to those things. And had I not gone that route, I wouldn't be able to make the contributions that I'm doing today. So don't over plan your career path. And then I think the second thing which we've already touched on a bit, is just getting comfortable with being yourself. I really wish I could have had that perspective earlier on in my career because it's exhausting to try to prove yourself and it's exhausting to try to think about like, how do I need to present myself to the world on a daily basis? So just getting comfortable and not worrying so much about that earlier on in my career and finding those sources of reassurance would have been a huge help. Yeah, wonderful. And what's the best advice you've ever been given? This was a piece of advice that I got from my second boss in the Air Force. And I remember as I was talking with him about a particular leadership challenge that I was facing, he reminded me not to work too hard to emulate anyone else's leadership style because like the stripes of a tiger, the stripes don't necessarily fit every animal. So trying to find those things that do fit me by all means, try on what you see someone else modeling, but don't necessarily define your leadership style by what you see around you. You have to find what resonates with you. And I think, you know, then that came back to me later on in my career. And a piece of advice that I got from another leader was to be confident in the decisions that I was making because the decisions that I had made to date had gotten me where I was and that intuition was good and not to try to overanalyze and use logic to the end, but to count on my intuition and instincts because it's, there's no way to explain how the brain can weave all these things together to give you good instincts. But, you know, after 20 some years in a career, you do have those. So I think those are the two things of create your own leadership style and be confident in the intuition you gain over time. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're all guilty of that overanalysis, I think. Well, Mandy, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing your journey and, and sharing your wisdom. If people wanted to know more about you or Regetti or quantum computing, where would they go to? We have a website, rigetti.com, and it's a great place to keep up with the news on quantum computing. There's a section that you can learn about it there. You can see some pictures of a quantum computer, what, a, what the systems look like, and learn a little bit about the applications there. And for people that are interested in connecting with me, particularly those who have a common life mission of helping people to thrive, I'm on LinkedIn, LinkedIn slash in slash Mandy Birch. Fantastic. Well, we'll put those links on our show notes page. Well, that just leaves me to say thank you again. It's been a real pleasure and we can't wait to see what you do next and, and where quantum computing and Rogetti goes to. And thank you. Yes, thanks so much, Mandy. Thank you as well. I really enjoy your show and I especially appreciate the encouragement it gives me. Wonderful. Thanks a lot. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Wow, I'm not sure it's possible to operate in more male-dominated environments than Mandy has throughout her career. Yes, seriously. Although you can hear that at times it's been tough and she's had to work extra hard, it seems to me she's really been blazing a trail for other women to follow her in those environments. I agree. I really loved her insight and advice to her younger self about how important it is to be comfortable in your own skin. You know, 
being comfortable with who you are, even when you're clearly different to everyone else you work with. It's so important. Particularly, I loved how she learned as part of her journey to recognize the value and worth she brought to the table, precisely because she was different and had that different perspective. Yeah, yeah. It's the ultimate goal, really, isn't it? To own who we are and know the worth and value we bring. The sooner you can do that in your career, the better. That's for sure. I must say, I'm pretty intrigued to learn more about quantum computing now, too. Yeah, me too. Maybe we need to do a what is quantum computing, you know, like our what is AI episode. Yeah, that's a good idea. Well, that's this episode done and dusted. As always, if you've enjoyed this episode, then please share it with a friend. Tune in for our next episode with entrepreneur Christina Carlson, who's the founder of the global Swedish design and stationery business, Kiki K. See you then. Ciao for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.